Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Rob Porter here on 970 WDAY AM and 93.1 FM. Good afternoon, Natil. How are you? Doing good today. Glad to hear that. I was just reading this headline. Um, it says, the rural advantage. Rural upbringing raises kids' future earnings, study shows. Hmm. Not so sure about that. You're not so sure? <laughs> well, in this particular instance, I mean, I was I was brought up in a rural I was brought up in a rural setting. And I well, I guess I've got a lot of future left to go before we can fully decide on what my overall lifetime earnings were. This is um well, I mean, that's an anecdote, Natil. We can't base national trends on your experiences. But we have uh, this this is actually from <laughs> oh, sorry, that's not a little jerky. I didn't mean that, but <laughs> One person's story does not a trend make. No, but it, it does factor into, like, okay. my, my data point factors All into right. the overall set of data points. Fair enough. Uh, if you want to call in, 701-293-9000, email talk at wday.com. This is from the dailyyonder.com, uh, and I quote, it's an article by Bill Bishop uh, from August 3rd. I quote, you wouldn't know it from national news reports that describe decline and dysfunction outside the fast-growing cities, but a major study of Americans' income find that children, especially for poor families, benefit from growing up in most rural communities. Children growing up in poor families in three out of four rural counties have higher incomes than the national average at age 26, simply as a result of spending time in these communities. This increased income is the result of, quote, neighborhood effects that can either help or hinder children who grow up in every community. According to the findings of a massive national survey of income by Stanford economist Raj Jetty and others, rural places often have the combination of factors that help poor children succeed in the labor market. Meanwhile, the centers of the nation's largest cities, the counties at the heart of the new economy, have, quote, neighborhood effects that are largely bad for children and poor families. In only 29% of these densely populated places do children and poor families grow up to earn more than the national average at age 26. Uh, the study finds a number of factors that benefit children, communities that are less racially segregated, that don't have wide dis- disparities in income, that have good schools and have a strong civic life, produce grown-ups who earn more than people who grow up in places without those qualities. Um... I don't know. I, I think it's kind of interesting. I mean, it's essentially saying, and it's it's focused just on poor people, and it's saying if you're poor, it's better to be poor out in the country than it is maybe in a in a dense urban area. And, and I'm not so sure I disagree with that. I, I I don't know. I mean, that seems that seems to make sense to me. I don't. I haven't spent a lot of time digesting it, but I I don't know. It's interesting stuff. Anyway, that just. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that definitely is interesting. I think it definitely merits some more some more research, especially since we've got yeah. we've got plenty of rural areas out here to, to maybe focus in on a little bit of that research on a more local level. Yeah, I mean it's because you know it, there's a lot of things that go into this. You know, for instance, you know how is it a uniform measure of poverty because. If, if we're saying, you know, okay, and, and I don't know what number they're using, but I, I don't, let's say $45,000 a year or something is the threshold for being poor or not poor. And I don't know if that's the threshold. I'm just pulling a number out of thin air. But let's say that that's the number. Well, that number probably goes further in rural America than it does maybe in, in the inner city. 
right, in, in an urban area. It's generally more expensive to live in cities. Housing is more expensive. A lot of things are more expensive. Some things are more expensive in rural areas, too. But generally, I think the cost of living is cheaper in rural areas. So maybe maybe that's... Welcome back, Rob. Report on 970 WDAYM and 93.1 FM. We're talking about the Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act. It was introduced by Republican Senator Rob Portman of Ohio. It's co-sponsored, among others, by North Dakota Senators John Hoven and Heidi Heitkamp. Uh, Heidi Heitkamp in particular making sex trafficking uh, a, a big issue. You know, she's she really spent a lot of time on this. But this, I think, goes too far. I want to know what you think. Is this a threat to internet freedom, 701-293-9000, email talk at wday.com. Um, Natil, I don't know, and, and I say this as somebody, you know, in, in September, it will be 14 years that I have operated sayanythingblog.com. Uh, over those years, thousands and thousands and thousands of comments posted on the blog. Um, hundreds of comments sometimes get posted every day, and... You know, I don't have enough time in the day to police every single one of those. So if somebody's plagiarizing or posting illegal content, I may not catch it. Uh, and if I don't catch it and I don't know about it and it's just some random Internet user out there doing it, um, you know, as long as I'm not like facilitating it or, or cooperating it in any way, why should I be liable for that? You know, I, I think that's the question I'm going to ask because I, that's where this legislation would take us. And. I mean, you got to think, I mean, does, does Facebook want to operate with that sort of liability hanging over their hands? Well, absolutely not. But I, I wonder how the terms and conditions type things that you usually have to go through in order to be a, a poster on a, let's just say an online forum. There's always like terms and conditions and rules that you have to sure. abide by. And when you check that, I agree to these terms and conditions and rules, and then you don't. Does that remove the the liability from the person hosting that website? Because you, the the person posting that illegal content, checked the, I agree to these terms and conditions, and if one of those terms and conditions is don't post illegal content, then you're yeah. violating the terms and conditions of the website. And I, I feel like that in and of itself should be enough to just remove liability from the, the website host. I'm not even sure you should have to go that far, to be honest with you. I mean, it's... You know, I, if, if I shouldn't have to tell you not to break the law, well, no, right? As no. as, as, as as the website operator, it, it shouldn't be incumbent on me to tell you don't break the law, right? So if you're breaking the law on my website, I should be able to ban you. Now, again, if I'm like facilitating it or I'm not being cooperative and trying to combat it or whatever, then fine, maybe I'll have some liability at that point. But just to open this up to where you have sort of a blanket opening to, to, to create liability both criminally and civilly for people to come after you simply because you're hosting a website and some other jerk did something illegal on it uh i don't think that's i don't think that's fair i don't think that's a good idea i don't think that's that should be something we want i i think that would fundamentally change the way the internet works in some ways that we don't want now i i suspect that proponents of this sort of legislation are going to come back and say well you know it's absurd you know, law enforcement's not going to go after Facebook uh, because somebody used Facebook Messenger to, to hire a hooker or, or to buy some drugs or something like that. Well, why should we have to rely on the government's forbearance? 
right? Why, why should we have to trust that they're not going to abuse this power? I don't think they should have this power in the first place. Yeah, maybe they won't go after Facebook, but maybe they'll go after somebody a lot smaller, maybe some small company that's offering, you know, operating a, a sports discussion group for the local university teams or, you know, a, a regional high school sports blog or something like that. How, how do we know? I mean, a lot of these websites have ways I guess people could use them to communicate with one another to coordinate illegal activity. And I, I'm, I'm just not sure that Congress has considered this. Or maybe they have considered this and, and they want this sort of ambiguity in the law and, and they want to have this in their pocket because this is a very powerful bit of leverage that they can use. So I'm just I'm, I'm just not convinced that, that the government should have this tool. Well, I, I, I think... Sorry, does, go ahead. does it not seem like they're sort of shooting themselves? Well, I, the, Congress isn't shooting themselves in the foot, but if by passing this, they're sort of giving police and lawmakers the ability to shoot themselves in the foot if they use, if they go after the tool that's being used to sort of bring these people to justice. Right. I mean, if if they go after, let's just use Facebook for example. If they go after Facebook for somehow facilitating a conversation where a, a John buys a, a hooker service, going after Facebook is going to make them shut that down and then you're not going to have access to that, that tool anymore to help prove that this happened. Right. I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I think the point you're making is why not just focus on going after the people who are committing the crime? Absolutely. Instead of the medium, right? It's like, oh, let's go after Verizon because somebody, you know, used a cell phone to make a do something illegal. Like that's that's silly. That's not Verizon's fault, right? Why is Verizon being looped in here? And and the other side effect of this is because companies like Facebook, like Google, they invest a lot of money in combating illegal content on their sites. Whether I mean, everything from you know people uh, violating copyrights or or you know, doing engaging in plagiarism to sex trafficking and drugs in illegal weapon trade. Like they they invest a lot in this. And I worry that one side effect is they're gonna say, well if you're gonna stick us with the liability anyway, why would we even risk trying to detect this stuff? Why would we want to put ourselves in a position where we even look like we're aware of it? Because that's just going to increase our liability. I mean the the side effect of implementing this may be that these organizations do even less to police this sort of content which is counterproductive to the whole goal. Congressman Kramer joins us next. It's his weekly open phone segment. If you have comments or questions for him, 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Maybe we'll ask him about this. I'm sure he's got some thoughts. We'll be back right after this. This is The Rob Report on 970 WDAY AM and 93.1 FM. Welcome back, Rob Report on 970 WDAY AM, 93.1 FM. 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329, email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, Congressman's running a little bit late today, so we're uh, we're waiting on him. We'll get him on, and he'll let us know when he's uh, ready to go, so hopefully that'll be soon. 
we are uh, EPA uh, Administrator Scott Pruitt in North Dakota today. Uh, I'm actually going to be interviewing him after the show. We'll play that audio for you li- uh, tomorrow. Well, I guess it won't be live. It'll be recorded. Uh, but I'll be uh, interviewing him this afternoon. I, You know, it's it's funny when, when you think about it. Given the nature of North Dakota's economy, uh, given the nature of the industry that we do here, you know, we're primarily agriculture and energy. Outside of the president himself, the most important member of that administration is probably the head of the EPA. He has a big impact on the way we go about doing things here in North Dakota. So 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, you know, in the last segment, we were talking a little bit about uh, the situation with uh, members of Congress. Uh, they're calling it the the stop uh, stop enabling sex traffickers act, and it would regulate. It would basically remove liability protections from people who offer services on the internet, um, and 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 open them up to liability if people were using their service to say engage in sex trafficking. Now that may not at, at first blush may not sound like such a bad thing, but if you think about it. How do you operate a website on the Internet that allows people to post messages or send one another messages or whatever? How do you operate something like that if all of a sudden you're liable for whatever illegal activity they might get up to with one another? That's going to create a huge problem. Emailer says, uh, if the industry can regulate itself, fine. If not, kick it up a notch. Simple. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's not even necessarily about regulation. It's about liability right it's it's about the potential for being held accountable for something you didn't really have anything to do with right i mean imagine it this way i mean imagine uh you know somebody steals your bicycle and then uses the bicycle to commit a crime right okay well they're 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 using your bicycle in a way you never intended it to be used and they committed a crime why should you be liable for that why should you be on the hook for that? And I, I think that's the position Congress is potentially looking at putting these websites in, these website operators. And it's not a good thing. It's potentially a very, very bad thing. So, um, you know, that's that's a little scary. And, and Natil, again, uh, you know, we enjoy a lot of different services on the Internet. I mean, everything from, you know, YouTube to Facebook to Twitter to, I mean, all, all of these services would potentially be impacted by this. If all of a sudden they're on the hook for illegal activity. Now, if, if YouTube is is aware, uh, or I don't know, Google or Facebook or whatever is aware that their service is being used for, for crime and they just go on allowing it and don't do anything to stop it, well, then I, I think at that point you could say they're complicit. But absent that, why should they be on the hook? I, I think this could be detrimental to the sort of services we've come to to expect and enjoy on the internet. Well, absolutely. And, you know, the major companies like that, the big ones, Google, Microsoft, maybe not Microsoft, but, you know, Google, Yahoo, Facebook, all of those have reporting systems in place. They they report those types of activities to the appropriate agencies. And then it's the agency's job to, you know, figure out if there's actually a crime being committed or not. So I feel like, you know, they're, they're already doing what they're supposed to be doing here. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, you know, I and he, here's here's the other thing, because I don't think if they pass this law, I don't think the reaction is going to be that Congress is going to come out or, or I, 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 you know, the FBI or law enforcement or whoever is going to come out swinging at these, you know, and, and take down Facebook because hookers use Facebook to book Johns, right? Um, 
I don't think that that's going to necessarily happen. But here's the thing is a lot of these services know a lot of information about us. And a lot of times it's information that the government wants. What's to stop the government from going, hey, Facebook, we know about some of this illegal activity that's going on through your service. We could use that to create a lot of trouble for you if you don't knuckle under on some of your privacy stuff, right? Because that's the other thing is you got to remember when it comes to this government surveillance stuff, the NSA and, and, and everybody else who is collecting all this data from us, they are fighting a fight with the tech companies. Now, some of the tech companies have sort of bent over for them. Some of them have have stood up and, and stood straight on it, but this would be a pretty powerful tool that the government would have in its toolbox to beat these companies over the head and make them knuckle under. And to me, that's a scary thing. I mean, you, you want to talk about that fight, the fight for our information, the fight for our privacy. These private companies are the ones fighting it. Not perfectly, not as well as all of us would like, not as competently as all of us would like, but they are fighting it. But this would be a, a tool that the government would have hanging over their heads to allow them to get these companies to knuckle under. And so even, even from that perspective, I mean, maybe they don't use this directly, but maybe they use it indirectly. Does that make sense, Nathiel? Yeah, to some extent. Sorry, I'm sending you an email here. Oh, Okay. Uh, all right. Well, that's, uh, you know, that, uh, so I don't know. I, I, I think it's a very bad idea. Both Senator uh, John Hoven and uh, Senator Heidi Heitkamp backing this legislation. I think it's a terrible idea. Uh, and it's something that we got to keep our eye on. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Have you been keeping, uh, oh, wait, here, let's, uh, we got an email. Uh, Kevin uh, writes, Rob, here's the reason for the government to take away immunity from wireless providers by providing that private parties can't manage it, the federal government has to operate it and control it. Well, I don't, I don't think that they're looking to operate it and control it so much as they're just looking at, you know, the law basically putting Facebook on the hook or, or whoever, uh, put, you know, basically putting them on the hook to be liable for this illegal stuff. And I think that's, I think that's a scary thing. Uh, we're going to take a break, and then we'll be right back. You're listening to The Rob Report on 970 WDAY AM and 93.1 FM. Call in 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be back. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report on 970 WDAY AM and 93.1 FM. Uh, we must have had a, a mix-up with Congressman Kramer today. I know he's uh, he's out with the uh, EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt, so uh, maybe maybe we got uh, schedules a little bit mixed up there. But uh, normally he would be on here for open phones, but right now we have open phones without him. So uh, 701-293-9000 if you want to join in, 888-970-9329, email talk at WDAY. Uh, dot com. Until you know, b- back at the beginning of the show, I mentioned this uh, this study about you know essentially rural um, kids from poor families doing better in rural areas than in urban areas, and I I, I don't know. It 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 seems very very interesting to me. I I've, I have not ever seen a study like this before. I need to dig more into this. I don't know how much credibility to give this, but I I got to tell you, and maybe it's my bias, 
because we live in a mostly rural area and I kind of grew up rural. So, so maybe I'm just biased here. Maybe I, I just have, I'm just biased in favor of my own upbringing, but this passes the smell test for me. And, and I'm, I'm not basing that. I, you know, I'm not saying, you know, this is absolutely true. Take it to the bank. I'm just saying this sounds logical to me. This is from, and again, the, the article is at dailyyonder.com. They're writing about uh, a national survey conducted by a Stanford eco- economist, Raj Jetty. Uh, this is, again, from the article. I quote, most, most poor children growing up in the vibrant centers of the cities of a million people or more earn less than the national average by the time they reach their mid-20s. A Chetty study attempts to isolate and identify the neighborhood's effects on future incomes. Yes, income is determined in part by individual characteristics, but what Chetty finds is that places have enduring effects on people. When you hold all other factors constant, Chetty and his legion of co-workers find that some communities help poor children earn more, others produce a drag on earnings. Simply put, a child in a poor family growing up in Meeker, Colorado, or Sundance, Wyoming, or Big Lake, Texas, earns much more than the national average at age 26. Those who spent their early years in the city centers of Austin, Texas, Chicago, Illinois, Illinois, or Charlotte, North Carolina, earn much less. Rural areas produce better outcomes, said Nathaniel Hendren, a Harvard University economist and co-author with Chetty in these studies. Uh, The effects aren't limited to poor kids. Children from rich families also benefit from growing up in these places, although to a lesser degree. uh, The success of the poor does not have to come at the expense of the rich, uh, the Stanford economist writes. Um, So I don't know. I mean, that's interesting. I mean, they're essentially saying that there's an effect for all kids, both poor and rich, but there's there's more of an effect for poorer kids. And I'm, I'm just... I guess I'm just trying to think, why Why is that? Does anybody have an idea? Why would this be? Why would kids growing up in a rural setting do better, at least financially, over the years when they grow up than kids from poor families who, who come from more dense, more urban areas? 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Um, I, I, I guess I just, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to put my finger on why this could be, and I'm, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard. It's hard to put your finger on it because you know the things that you want to say are like, you know, rural kids know what it's like to work hard. We know what it, we know. Yeah, what, and I don't want to make those sort of assumptions. Right? Exactly I'm, because people you, from because inner people cities from, work hard. Yeah, right? people from urban areas have to be getting those lessons too. I mean, people they're not lazy. And, I mean, that's, yeah, somebody, that's kind of a universal truth that life takes effort. And somebody in an in an urban area growing up in a poor family has to understand the value of a dollar just as well as somebody from a rural area understands the value of that dollar. Could it be schools? Because I'm, I'm thinking that's a big difference. Because if you go to a dense urban area, what you're going to get are bigger schools. That's right? very possible. Bigger schools, crowded classrooms. Whereas in a rural area, it's going to be smaller classes, right? I mean, how many how many people do we know that graduated from a rural high school that had maybe twenty, you know, a couple dozen people in their graduating class? Even if that, in, I mean, that's not uncommon. Even in, in, in like the like bigger rural areas. I mean, even here in Fargo, you don't graduating classes aren't as big as graduating classes right. in Chicago or Where Denver. You might have like thousands. Yeah. Um, I wonder if that's it. That's that's I a wonder, good, I w- that's a good thought. Yeah, I'm on board with that one. Yeah, that makes sense because I I, I do think sometimes there is this there is this bias. You know, you, you hear politicians talk about people from the heartland. I mean, there is we romanticize rural living, right? Even as people move away from rural areas, 
you know, we sort of romanticize it, right? You know, back on the farm and, and small town life and everything. And it's, I mean, the truth about living, I mean, listen, small towns are wonderful. Don't get me wrong. Rural living is, is wonderful as a way of life. But it shouldn't be romanticized. I mean, it's got its challenges. It's got its drawbacks, same as, as anything else. Um, so I, I, I do think we, I think politicians, particularly from this part of the country, tend to romanticize that. You know, we saw that back during the election, right, when Ted Cruz went after Donald Trump for New York values or whatever um, and, and sort of touting his his Texas roots and I, I guess more of a heartland of America, small-town America type thing. Um, and that obviously, that backfired on him. That actually didn't work very well for him. But politicians do it a lot. So, I mean, that's that's out there. And I don't want to buy in to that bias that that rural is just better, that country is better than the city or whatever, because I don't, I don't think it's true. It's much, much more complicated than that. But- Wouldn't it be interesting if it was the school thing, though, if it was the class sizes and the, the type of education that kids get in a rural right. area as opposed to an urban area? And wouldn't it be interesting if we could start bringing that into these urban areas, into these inner cities that need this education help that they're just not finding yet? I think we need to figure out a way to get people to start moving back out of the cities again. That's what I think. I, 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 I think we got to reverse the, 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 the migration. And I don't know how to do that. I mean, I don't want to force people to do it. You've got to incentivize it some way. And I, I don't even want like a government program incentivizing. I, I just, I am hoping that, that the nature of our economy changes and, and people find it. And I, I've been thinking that the internet, and I, I think, I don't think we've begun to see the effect yet, but I think the internet is going to make rural living possible for more people because you can commute over the internet you know work from home you have access to more content more entertainment uh you know with with amazon and being able to deliver things you can do more commerce in rural areas um that's what i would like to see is 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 to see i i don't think it's good to pack people in into tight urban areas now again maybe that's just my personal bias because i certainly like low low population density living that's just my preference so maybe that's my bias showing but I don't know. I, I think overall we might be better served if we just move people back out of some of these dense urban areas. Emailer says uh, less negative influences because less people and less trouble to find. Um, maybe. Kevin emails, uh, Rob, applying the 80-20 rule, rural kids work for stuff and respect the dollar. Urban kids deal drugs and don't respect a damn thing. Add in fatherless families high in urban, low, rural. Uh, Kevin, I don't know. I, I think you're making some... I think you're making some assumptions there that aren't necessarily true. Although it is, it is true that a lot of times in, in urban areas there is more crime, right? I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody would argue that there's more less crime in Fargo than there is in downtown Chicago, yeah, or downtown but, Charlotte for that matter. But again, that's you know a more people, more crime kind of situation. Yeah, but it's a rate, though. I mean, you're still talking about a rate, like crimes per thousand people or whatever. I mean, even even just the crime rates are higher. But, you know, and that's in Chicago, though. I mean, if you were to take yeah. other cities that sure. aren't Chicago and that are maybe, you know, yeah, twice maybe as like big Seattle's as Fargo, different or something. yeah, you, there's different per capita rates for sure. But I wonder what would I wonder what those rates would be if you took a city that's twice the size of Fargo instead of, you know, 18 times the size of Fargo. Right. There's also the fact and, and you know, this is probably a little bit provocative. There's also the fact that a lot of rural areas tend to be pretty racially homogenous. Very true. Right. You know, North Dakota is just a white place, so we probably don't have a lot of that racial tension that you're going to see maybe in other parts of the country that are more mixed. Anyway, fascinating topic for discussion. 
Wish we could keep going with it. Jay Thomas shows coming up next. Stay tuned for that. You can always catch me here 1 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday on 970 WDAY AM and 93.1 FM or 24 hours a day, seven days a week at sayanythingblog.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.